Perhaps the only good thing about the year 2020 is that it represents the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. This change granted women the right to vote, taking American democracy one large step forward toward being more inclusive. To celebrate the anniversary, the Union Tribune has spent the past year highlighting women who made a difference in the region, both past and present. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. We have two people on today who have been a part of this massive project. We have a research director, Mary Montagudo, and Morgan Cook, who wrote the latest installment, which ran on Sunday. So before we get too deep in the specifics of this specific installment, Mary, can you explain the origin of this project and how you went about researching it? We started in cooperation with the Women's Museum of California. Uh, We were looking for a way to celebrate the 100th anniversary of women getting the right And we didn't want to just concentrate on women in, that had been voted into office. We wanted to look at women's achievements in San Diego specifically over the past 100 years. Mm-hmm. And that's incredibly broad. How do you go and kind of def- decide when you look down these avenues? Because there's, you know, I imagine millions of phenomenal women in San Diego County throughout its history. There are. We were trying to find ones that had a specific legacy here in San Diego who either um, achieved national or even international fame or who, when they were here, had such an impact on our, their community that, that, you know, they're worth remembering 100 years later. And it was a lot of work to find, you know, women in, in very specific categories and narrow it down and narrow it down. We did start with... Um, a big list of women that the Women's Museum had put together. And that was uh, women that they have inducted into the Hall of Fame. They have a Hall of Fame for San Diego County, which was a really good starting point. And we had several meetings at the beginning with women from the museum that narrowed it down to certain categories, art, sports, elected offices, um, women in medicine and health, and so on. And one recognized the original plan was 10 women in each category. As we started doing the list, we realized that that was too narrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Morgan, you wrote the latest installment about women in politics. Can you give us kind of an overview of the history of women being elected into office in San Diego County? What did your research teach you? Um, I learned that California women actually had the right to vote earlier than, um, you know, than women for throughout the nation. So California women were voting as early as um, 1911. And so, you know, um, when I went to go back and sort of see, you know, how um, how politics in San Diego County has evolved you know, over, over that time. Um, you know, I found that I, I was a little surprised. I thought that there would be more women in office earlier, but we actually don't start seeing a lot of women holding local offices until um, like 1980-ish. And so um, I was also surprised because some of the earliest women office holders in San Diego County, like Mildred Green was one of them, the first woman on the board of supervisors. Um, she actually was put there by, you know, powerful men. She wasn't elected at the ballot box. Her husband, who was a supervisor at the time, died while he was in office. And she had been kind of helping him, you know, do his work as he was, you know, while he was ill. So she had kind of a feel 
for what he was doing. And, um, you know, just and, and the second woman elected to office in Diego County, it was the same. She was appointed. So I, that was surprising to me. Mm hmm. And in doing all this research, um, what are some kind of cultural things that you can pick out about how the acceptance and the kind of gender equity of women in government has changed over time? Uh, Mary, can you give us a sense of kind of how it was like in the early days, like under the, the first female supervisor? Well, the first female supervisor and the first um, city councilwoman who was in in uh, Coronado, actually, in the 1920s, both of them, like Morgan said, they were appointed at first, but then they subsequently won. Oh, yeah. the one they, they ran and they won, yeah. They were accepted, then they, they, they got into office. They were fine. You know, men were fine with women being in office once they proven they could do it. But it was also that... Um, they, these women, when they were first appointed, they were there was always some justification that had to be made. You know, they they thought women needed a could present a valuable perspective on especially women's and children's issues. So a lot of welfare issues and and, and schools and things like that. Actually, women were elected to school boards long before they got into representative office in in city and county governments, but. You know, because that was accepted as a realm for women to have some voice in. It wasn't until much later that they're electing, you know, scientists and engineers and, and you know, women with other qualifications on their own, lawyers, a lot of, you know, because there weren't women in law, that many of women in law in the county very early on. So it took a while for women to establish their credentials on their own. And also, it was interesting to me that, um, well, for, I guess it, I knew this, but I didn't really sink in. A lot of times, there were just one woman on the board. You know, one woman in, in county government was enough. One woman on the, you know, city government was enough. And they, it took until the 1980s, I think, before San, um, San Diego, the city, had three women on the city board of government. Yeah, it kind of seems like there's almost like a pipeline problem that until more women were able to get into careers of any kind, did the door of politics open? And I guess that's kind of why you see these developments decades after you see notable women in nearly any other industry. Yeah, I mean, they and, and also in politics, mentorship is really important, you know, um, having people to kind of show you the ropes and show you the way. You know, so for a long time, most of the incumbents were men. Um, and so there weren't that many women to show other women coming into politics, you know, the way. So more women having higher education, better credentials, full-time jobs, you know, careers that they can point to and say, look at my success. That's, you know, that's been big. And, um, you know, we see that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and on that point, um, when considering the current slate of people that are representing San Diego, be it you know on the city, county, or even in Congress, who are some uh, notable women that San Diegans should know? Um, you know, I just the list is long, right? So um, I will definitely be leaving off names here. But you know, we have State Senator Tony Atkins, who's you know been really important and done a lot of things, and um, we have 
Assemblywoman, State Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. We have City Council President Jennifer Campbell. Um, you know, the list is the list is long. Hmm. Although I was surprised as we put this together. I mean, that it was even doable. The fact I that to collect the names of every woman, or we think it's every woman elected to either city, county, state, or or congressional office in San Diego County's history, and it's 210 women. You know, so we're talking what you know, two a year for the hundred years <laughs> that that women have been voting for other women for the most part. Um, and, and that was another trick was women don't always vote for other women. They tend to vote yeah, more exactly. by party line, just like men do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Yeah, you're kind of teasing at my next question with this, Mary. What are some of the limitations of doing research like this? I mean, this is one of those things where you can imagine someone thinking, oh, there has to be a list somewhere, but obviously there isn't. Like, how do you go and find all these records? Can you explain some of the, the digging in archives that you have to do to answer these questions? It was very, very decentralized. I mean, like the, the state has a list of all the elected officials, but they don't necessarily note the gender, you know. So there were some women's groups out there that had, had lists that I used to verify. But first I got I had to get the list of everyone elected um, from each individual jurisdiction. So the county, the clerk of the board of supervisors, every city clerk, I contacted every city clerk in the county, all 18, you know, um, cities. And they were great. They got back to me either with where um, lists of, you know, I sent them names and said, do you know of anybody else? And a lot of them were able to write back and say, yes. Of course, that was easier with cities that were just incorporated in 1986. So I got to Coronado and they were incorporated back in 1890. And they said, well, you know, there's a pandemic on. I can't really check the records, you know. So uh, this is what we have digitally. And, you know, we can't we can't really go down to the basement right now and look at the original books. So some of them we had to piece together from, you know, starting with the list. And then I went back through, fortunately, we have the 150 years of the San Diego Union Tribune archives available. And I was able to check name by name to make sure that the Beverly that was in, you know, elected in the 1940s in Coronado was actually an admiral. So it was a guy, it was a man and not a woman, yeah. you know, so I didn't include him on the list. But the Gale that was elected somewhere else in the 1970s was, in fact, a woman. So I had to do a lot of double checking just to, to verify that the content was, you know, that we were counting the people we wanted to count. Yeah, it's one of those things that you often forget when you do projects like these. Uh, there's a lot of uh, grinding you got to do in the sausage making. It's not easy. Yeah, and then, you know, the, this by the same token, there also weren't, you know, city council records of exactly who was on city council, you know, and whether they were women and stuff. So when I went to go do my part of the thing, when I went to, you know, do test years, like comparison years in 1924 and 1970, I mean, we didn't even have the California roster that far back. So to figure out who was on city council, I was like piecing through old clips, you know, old city records. And I got some help from the historical societies. I got some help from a couple of city clerks. But, you know, ultimately nobody could get to their records that far back. Libraries were closed. The societies, you know, historical societies were cut off from their records and stuff. So it was a... Uh, 
it was it was a challenge. It was fun though. I mean, it was great. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And uh, one of the strange ways that this uh, project has become really prescient is that uh, due to the pandemic, we're seeing some structural inequities return. You're seeing a lot of women drop out of the workforce because there isn't supportive uh, child care or other issues like that. So it seems like we're at a moment in which as a society, we're going to have to push a little harder for equity in the coming years to kind of fix those uh, losses that are made now. When considering that, um, does that kind of flavor any of the research that you've done, just kind of how, you know, women have borne a different brunt of this pandemic than men have? You know, I hadn't thought of it until now, but yeah, I can see that because, you know, you see the roadblocks to women running from office, you know, throughout history. A lot of them have had to do with employment, you know, and what's expected of women. Um, And, you know, a lot of them didn't run because they had children at home, you know, or they took breaks from their career for children. Um, And, you know, you do see how that would be, you know, a difficult, a difficult situation to overcome uh, if you were the one who's, you know, mostly responsible for your children and family and everything, which for a very long time is how it was. Whenever, you know, when we were looking at the biographies of those women, they always mentioned how many children she has and she's elected. I don't know how many male candidates I've seen elected that they mention how many children he has, unless it's in the you know photograph that he uses as part of the campaign. So it was interesting the emphasis placed on that, you know, the internal or that that aspect of a woman's life is very important in her political career. That to that point, you know, when I was doing my research, I was you know coming up in the newspaper on here's who won local elected offices, you know, and. Uh, and I was seeing that the women who ran were listed as misses on the ballot or met, you know, I didn't see any misses, but I'm guessing there was a miss here or there is the point, but, um, you know, misses and the men were not listed as mister. It was like almost like pointing out, this is, we're talking about not just a woman, but a married woman. That was really interesting to me. I mean, I, I feel like it probably makes sense for the time periods that I was looking at, but I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up to from the 50s through the 70s, it's interesting that almost every story about a woman elected the office starts out with this, a civic-minded housewife, you know, was surprisingly elected to public office and, you know, this role. The first time ever, almost every one of them from the, you know, night up through the 1970s was really the first time ever for that particular role, which is you know, is kind of mind boggling when you're sitting here in 2020 looking at it. That's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, finally, uh, Morgan, I think it's fitting that you wrote the, this last uh, edition of the Phenomenal Women Project, because considering your work on the Watchdog team, you've uh, experienced and dealt with uh, kind of the brunt of the current political toxic masculinity that has kind of really permeated American politics uh, during the Trump era. I guess from your perspective, uh, do you think that San Diego is in a place that, you know, is continuing to grow equity? Or do you think some of that kind of negative views and kind of macho man masculinity that, uh, you know, President Trump and a former representative Duncan Hunter tend to exhibit, do you think that that's gained more ground? Like, where do you think things stand on the, that goes kind of gender politics of equity? I think that, you know, what I what I think... My my prediction is that we'll see more women 
running for office. And the reason I think that that's the case is that for that very reason, you know, women don't like to be told what they can and cannot do. You know, um, not the women today, not the women that I know. Um, you know well, I mean, I know a lot of women, so. Uh, but I'm just saying that, you know, there's a, there's this sort of like, you know, oh, you say I can't, well, I'm gonna show you I can, uh, kind of mentality that's out there, I think. And so I just expect women to, you know, feel feel like they like they have something to offer and, you know, and to make the world a better place. So I actually expect to see more women run because of that. I also think it was really important that this project came out, this specific, you know, part of the series came out now when we really see the importance of local government. I mean, at oh, every yeah. level, when in the absence of kind of an uh, approach to the pandemic, the state, the local, the county government, those officials have really stepped up and filled a void. And I think that we need people representing every, you know, part of society. And we really are, you know, 50% women. I don't see why that that won't become more of a standard, you know, as that 50% of the representation will be female in, in these um, local government agencies. And I really think that's a positive step. And uh, finally, uh, Mary, uh, when we do big projects like this at the Union Tribune, uh, we tend to do something to kind of make sure that it lives on beyond just a newspaper. Um, are there any plans for making sure this project and these uh, you know, illustrations and stories have life uh, beyond 2020? I sure hope so. I know that we, we plan on keeping a digital um, like book and putting it together. When we started discussing this, we were talking about an exhibit at the museum at the Women's uh, California Women's Hall of Fame, and you know, an in-person kind of reception thing. And of course, those plans fell through, and museums are closed now. But I'm hoping that you know we can revive this. We'll continue to, if not, you know, in an exhibit or that sort of um, format. I have to say, I've gotten emails and calls from people that picked up part of the Phenomenal Women um, section and say, I'm saving this for my daughter. You know, I want her to read it because this is important and this is San Diego history. And these are a lot of untold stories. I mean, sure, they were mentioned when that happened, but for them to hang on to this and say, this is our history too. And I think that's, that's wonderful. That, you know, warms my heart. Yeah, certainly. I mean, newspapers have the power to both, you know, tell you what's happening right now and also acknowledge the past. And it's uh, really cool to see when we can achieve both of those things at the same time. All right. Morgan Cook, Mary Montegudo, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. It's Tuesday, so listen to the latest episode of Name Drop. Hear the UT's Abby Hamblin and Christy Totten interview Mario Lopez. The Chula Vista native discusses his past and upcoming projects, including his upcoming role as KFC's Colonel Sanders. Name Drop San Diego is available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.